So Moses, we talked about last week, had made some, some mistakes. And that caused him to go into a kind of a, well, he, he beat them to the punch. He wasn't exiled by the Pharaoh. He exiled himself before the Pharaoh got a chance. And he went off, lived for years and years and years as a shepherd. I think probably believing that whatever influence he could ever have had to help his people was, was shot. It was gone that there was no chance that he would ever be part of any kind of a movement that would free the Hebrew people from their Egyptian slavery. And so he was as surprised, I do believe, as, as surprised as anybody when God spoke to him. I think he was even more surprised that when God spoke to him, it was not condemnation, but it was a call. Because God could have said from the bush, Moses, I saw what you did all those years ago, and I can't use you. That's not what God said. And God could say to every single one of us, you know, I saw what you did all those years, weeks, days, hours ago, and I can't use you. But that's not what God says to any of us. Instead, He said to Moses, Moses, I've heard the cry of the people of Israel. I've heard the Hebrew people. I've heard their prayers. I know that they want to be set free, and I want to set them free. My heart is with them, and I want to rescue them. I want to do it through you. Okay, and that's where we left off last week. We didn't read Moses' response so much last week because we're going to get into that today. So if you, were, if you were Moses and you were in that moment, you'd probably be, I think, relieved that God is not speaking you to condemn you, but rather loves you, forgives you, and calls you to a purpose. But, you know, looking at what that purpose is, it has to be a bit intimidating. And I think sometimes the things that He calls us to are intimidating. In fact, I would argue if God has never called you... If, well, let me reword this. If everything you believe God has called you to has been easy and not intimidating, the chances are you've been taking the wrong calls. Because God often calls us to things that are hard, that are intimidating. We just often say no, don't we? And so we're going to look at, you know, the idea of saying no. That's what Moses does. Five times... Uh, I might argue it's even more than five, but five times we're looking at today, uh, he says no to God. Uh, maybe there's another workaround for this. So that's why the title, Arguing the Mission. If you, uh, I forgot to mention this, if you are one of those clicky people instead of a page-turning person, if you have the Version app, this is on there again today. So look at Version events and you can follow these passages right along and make your own notes. We're in Exodus chapter 3 and uh, let's see here. I want to start, you know my problem is I always want to read the whole thing. Let's start in verse 1. That's my thing. If I told you 5, I'd say, well, let's go back up to 1 anyway, so let's just do this. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, and yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this, this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take, off, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, 
and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that he may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, now first let me just say, he should be pretty excited, and I think part of him probably was, that God has heard their cry and that his answer is, I'm going to get them out of there. So there's got to be a part of Moses that is going, yes, finally. And then he says, so Moses, I was thinking that maybe I would use you. And he goes, whoa, no, 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 no. And so then we get to this verse where we are first. He says, well, but, 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 but who am I? Moses says, by the way, that he's not a good speaker. Okay, that's one of his excuses. However, Stephen in his address, just before he's stoned, goes out of his way to say that Moses was actually very skilled and a great speaker. So apparently Moses only stuttered whenever God said, I got something for you to do. So, you know, Buddy and, Buddy and Guy, Bob and Randy, they know what that's like because we got some talkers that as soon as you say to them, hey, do you think you could lead a prayer? You know, they can't do it anymore. Suddenly they're Meltillus and they don't even know how to sing. And so, you know, this was... The old people got that one. I know, uh, you know, Maltillus, all anybody under like 40 is going, who? Uh, no help for you. The, uh, go, go, go YouTube it. Just not right now. Don't be, we don't need Maltillus just yet. So he's, he says, well, but, but who am I? I'm not, I'm not the person to go in to do this. And so he, he brings up these excuses. Let's look at the first one. Oh, I forgot one. So he says, well, who am I? Nobody's going to listen to me. They don't care about me. Why would, why, would, why would I be the person to go? And God, who is not so much a yeah, but God. We're yeah, but people, but God's not a yeah, but guy. So just, you know, if that's what you need to write on your a post-it note on your mirror every morning, you know, this week, no yeah, buts, just because we're good at those, right? That's what I do whenever I open up the, the trash, you know. I, I open up the door under the kitchen sink this morning, smelled like... 14 cows had died under my sink. I don't know how it happened. I don't think we've cooked in two days because it was Tanya's birthday weekend. So, you know, I don't know where that smell was coming from, but whoo! And I said, that needs to go out. And something deep inside me, somewhere in my nasal cavity, which is pretty deep inside me, said, oh, yeah, but no. <laughs> Who am I to go and do this? Moses does the same thing. I don't, I, I'm not the right person for this. You know, I, I, I just, it's just not me. They're not going to care about me. They're not going to listen to me. I have no credibility anymore with the Egyptians. Not me. So what's God's answer? But I'm going to be with you. So that's the first thing we need to remember whenever a, a task that God puts before us seems intimidating. The first is the, probably the single most important. But God is with you. And so sometimes we'll say, well, I don't know. I don't. I'll give you an example. This is one of the easier things that God calls us to. People think it's the hardest. I know that public speaking, people think it's... When they put it up there, you know, on what are people's greatest fears, it's always either number one or number two. I've never been able to quite figure that out. You probably think I should be more scared of it. But the, the, why that's quite so scary, especially in a church family, 
You know, and so people will be afraid to come up here and pray. They'll be afraid. And I'm not, I'm not teasing you. I'm not making fun of you. Nerves are real. So don't take this the wrong way. But one of the things that we will get really scared of is doing things like that. Let me encourage you this way. Number one, God is with you. Yes, you may be nervous. Yes, you might even make some serious mistakes. You might do like I did when I was young and a, a teenager and first starting out. You might have a tick. I used to get this tick right back. I hate ticks, both kinds. And right back here, it wasn't a pet. It was a muscle tick. The, uh, I should straighten that out. Uh, right back here, this little muscle would start doing this sort of a thing, like this little vibrating thing. Every time I, I would get up to read a scripture or to say a prayer or, or to pass out the Lord's Supper, any of that stuff. And that little tick would just start going. I think, oh my goodness, what is that? And the more I thought about it, you know, so the next thing you know, you're doing this sort of a thing. And, and then people really are staring at you. So, you know, and so I don't know. But that would happen. And then I came across Steve. I should loan you this book. This book, it's an old book. Some of the things in it are probably outdated, but there were some good nuggets in it. It was called Speaking for the Master by Batsel Barrett Baxter. And one of the best things he said on nervousness was this. He said, one, remember this. God is with you, okay? His Spirit is in you, so whatever you're doing, remember, you're, not a, you're never up there, up there. You're never up there alone, but the second, and this was the one that really, I knew that really already, but, but I didn't know if God was playing a banjo on my muscle right back here. The, uh, the second was, I think, for me, extremely important. He said, you only really get nervous because you're thinking about yourself. When it's all about you, that's when you get nervous. They're looking at me. They're listening to me. They're, you know, and so am I going to do this right? Am I going to sound right? Am I going to be, be, you know, whatever? And so your focus becomes a very self-centered focus. He said, if you will remember that you're never up there because of you or for you, then your nerves will start to become much more controllable. You may still get nervous now and then for other reasons, maybe some better reasons. You know, did I get this right? Is this all thought out well? Whatever. But he said, you'll get rid of that, the worst nervousness, by taking your focus off yourself and remembering this. God is with you. He has given you a message or a prayer to pray for the people who are in front of you. All of these things are a song to sing. And remember, I'm doing this with the Lord, for the Lord, and for their encouragement. And when that focus shifts off of yourself and instead onto the mission that you have, and it's a mission, whether it's leading a prayer or whatever, reading a scripture those things start to go away. And you're actually able to focus on the things that, that are more worthy things that still make you a, a little nervous, you know, reading it well or saying it clearly or whatever. But that all helps. Now, those are small things in a way in comparison to what Moses has to face. He doesn't just... Who's his audience? He has to go and speak. But he has to speak before Pharaoh. And so we can kind of understand maybe a little bit of his nervousness. Uh, there's a chance here that if it all goes wrong, that it costs him his life. So he has some legitimate, maybe some non-selfish reasons to be nervous. But God says to him very clearly, Moses, I'm with you. You don't have to worry about that. Verse 11, But God said to Moses, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I, this is God speaking, I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I think that's interesting that he gives them a sign. This is funny to me. God, is, God has a sense of humor. 
at the same time that he's teaching Moses something. He says, I will be with you and I will give you a sign that I'm with you. When you're finished and it's all over and you've finally done what I told you to do and then you're standing there and it's finished, you'll know I was with you. That sounds like something we would, I would say this to my kids. But Dad, how do I know I can do that? Well, if you'll go in there and get it done, then when you're done, we'll look back at it and you'll know you could do it. That's what God just said to Moses. He just said, I'll prove that I'm with you when you're finished. <laughs> so, you know, there's kind of this, this part of God that's saying, just get it done already. Get her done. Maybe God says, get her done. This is what he's, he's saying to Moses. But he does, there's a coolness to that too. You know that Moses, as he stood on the mountain, he, for reasons we'll get to later, didn't get to go into the promised land. But as he stood on the mountain and got a vision of it just before his people entered, you know this promise flooded his mind and his heart. God said he would do this. He said if I would just listen, if I would just go, that there'd be a moment where I would be able to look back and say, man, God was right. And God did, and he was with me, and God is good. And he got there. He had that moment. So this was Moses' first objection and excuse, but it was also God's first uh, promise that would help to overcome that. Verse 13, Then Moses said to God, Well... But if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what's his name? What am I supposed to say to them? Let's go back and look at this for a second. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, it's not like he said, this is a funny excuse, it's not like he even said, well, what if I go to Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, what God are you here serving? Why should I listen to him? Okay, Pharaoh, there might be a good reason he would have to ask Moses which God and what's his name. But he actually is going to the people of Israel, the people, by the way, a few of whom were part of his knowing even who he was or who God is, who taught him, his sister among them, who helped save his life, who I think knows pretty well who God is. And he says, but what if I go to Israel and they don't know your name? What if they ask? And, and I don't, what am I, what am I supposed to tell them? It's kind of the wimpy, and this may be the wimpiest excuse. Now, names are important in ancient Middle Eastern culture more than we fully understand. Names represented authority. They represented power. They represented divinity. And so when they say, you know, well, what is your name? They're saying, what is your name and what authority does it have and why should I listen to this God? And is this the name of a God that matters? Okay, so, so there's, there's more oomph to his question than, than we might think. But still, in the end... It's a weird question for Moses to ask because Moses knows his God. It's why God is calling him. Israel, again, knows his God. They've been crying out to him, and God is listening. It's, it's, it's an excuse. It's, it's not a reason. But God, patient with him at this point, says, here's what I'll do. I'll tell you my name. I am who I am. It's God's Popeye moment. And so, you know, I am what I am, and that's all that I am. He says, I am who I am. And this, this statement then will reverberate through the rest of Scripture, the I am. And Jesus will, will use this language to show his own divinity and connection and, and same nature as the Father later on uh, in the use of these words of I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. 
God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what, you, and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go. So he says to him, here's the deal. I'm going to take your question, silly as it is, but we're going to give you a serious answer. You tell them, the I am has sent you. And then he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I want them to know and I want you to know. The God who has made and kept every promise. The God who brought your people as far as they've ever come. Hears you, will deliver you, and the power of my name will set you free. You don't have to worry about who you are because it's about who I am. and who I. Because that was the first question, who am I? You don't worry about who you are. You be concerned with who I am. And so he goes, well, then who are you? Like he didn't know. And he says, well, let me give you a quick refresher. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The one you sat around fires at night and talked about and longed for the promises to be fulfilled by. And I'm telling you, I'm here to make this come true right now. And so he goes. And he goes, but he doesn't yet. (laughs) So Moses has another, yeah, but, well, but... But, but, but what if nobody listens? I mean, I could go and talk, but that doesn't guarantee anybody's actually going to hear me. What if they, nobody bothers to even hear, hear what I say? And so the God, God answers that one too, doesn't he? So let's look. He says, uh, verse 19, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt and all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and clothing. For you shall put them on your sons and your daughters and you shall plunder the Egyptians. And that's when Moses answers, But behold, they're not going to believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to them, What's in your hand? He said, A staff. He said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it becomes a serpent. And Moses ran from it. I love that scene. Don't you love that? He's got this staff, and he says, but they're not going to listen to me. Why would they listen to me? He's still thinking about what? It's still, its focus is still on self. Usually when we're unwilling to step out on faith and do what God has called us to do, it's because our focus is where? It's on ourself. It's not on the mission, the God who sends us, or the God who is with us. It's when we're thinking about, well, yeah, but how am I? How am I? How am I? How am I going to pay for it? How am I going to have the energy for it? How am I going to have the time for it? How am I going to have the gifts for it? How am I going to... And it's all I. And it's all just a bunch of yabbits. And God doesn't put up with yabbits, does He? Why should He? So, He says, listen, I will make sure that they listen to you. Well, how are they going to listen to me? He said, you got a stick? He said, well, yeah, I got this one. He says, okay, throw down your stick. And this is when, if Tanya were Moses, Exodus would only have three and a half chapters. That'd be, or four chapters. This would be, this would be the end of it, right? And if it, and and if it was, if, if Moses had been a Texan, there would be bullet holes in the stick from then on. It'd be great. But 
He throws down his stick, and instead of shooting it, he, do, he actually is just like Tanya. Ah! And he runs. And he just, you know, this scene of him running off, forgetting that he doesn't even have his sandals on and getting, you know, rocks and everything else on his feet. And it's hilarious, but this is what happens. This is how we know Moses is human, okay? I've got to be honest with you. When, uh, when they start talking about snakes and all of this stuff, being more, there have been more out this year than there have been. I don't like the idea at all. I mean, you know, the only... The only good rattlesnake is a belt. That's just the way that works. It's already a belt. And I just don't like them. Now, I, I am more of the, the one to, to carry a shotgun than I am to run. But, I, but my grandmother, I honestly, was braver than me. I would still be loading. I remember this happened two or three times. I'd be loading a 410. My grandmother's out there throwing rocks at it, like five feet from the thing. And she just didn't care. And... I do. So that's the way that goes. Moses runs. But what is God trying to get him to see? Moses, I can do anything. What are you worried about? Yeah, their magicians have tricks. I have a real ability to do far beyond they can even imagine, and their illusions will be shown false, and they will know that I am the one true God. Moses, you're worried about the wrong things. Will they listen? Oh, they'll get the message eventually. They will. But it'll be when they see my power, not because of you. Stop worrying about you. Same thing in our own ministries. When we will stop worrying about, but what if they don't think I'm? Don't worry about that stuff. Because our work in every one of us is a part of the priesthood of all believers. We all have a mission. We've all got a place and a purpose and a ministry. And if you don't know, if you're going, well, I don't think I do, well, then stop with the yeah buts and let's get one. And we all do. We've all been called according to God's purpose in some way, many of us in different ways. Those things will find their real value and purpose and fruitfulness when we can just start saying, you know, no, they probably won't listen to me because of me. But it's not about me. It's about Jesus and it's about God. And if, if what I'm doing is in His name, if what I'm doing is by His Word and His authority, God's going to bless that no matter how weak or feeble I am, no matter how imperfect my gifts may be. That's not the important part. Who's with me? Who's working through this ministry? That's the important part. And that's all the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not me. So God says, you don't worry about that. I'll make sure I get their attention. I'll make sure that they listen. Because we know the end of the story. They do. His fourth, well, yeah, but I'm just not a, I'm not a good speaker. You know, verse 10, Moses says to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. And I don't know if not, that may be how he said that too. It might not have been, oh, my Lord, I'm not. I think it's, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. I can't do it either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. You know, you get, what's that guy's name on Duck Dynasty, the radio guy? You know, he's, he's trying to put on like he's that guy. Then the Lord said to him, Who made your mouth? Who did that? I made your mouth. I made your mouth, and I don't make anything bad. If you think you can't talk, you need to remember, I made your mouth. You think I can't do with your mouth what I just did with the stick? If I can make the stick into a, into a viper, into a cobra or a rattlesnake, you think I can't do something with that tongue flapping around inside your gums? I can handle your mouth. And he, of course, we know he also 
sends Aaron with him to be a spokesperson. But you know the funny part about sending Aaron with him is then you read what happened before Pharaoh. How often did Aaron get to talk? It's like never. Moses ends up doing all the talking because he walked by faith and God did what he said he would do. And then that's the last part. He said, well, God, finally he says, well, God, I, just, I really think you ought to send somebody else. And God's answer is basically, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'll send you a helper. I'll send you an assistant. I'll send you a spokesperson. But Moses, you're going. And it actually says that God started at that point to get angry with Moses. And apparently Moses picked up on the vibrations in the room that God was starting to get a little bit upset. And so he says, okay, fine. <laughs> okay, fine. I'll go. I'll go. And that's the strength that we need to see in Moses. This whole series has been about that there is good news. There's gospel in the story of Moses. And all of these things are gospel, aren't they? It is good news that we don't have to serve in the kingdom by ourselves, but that it is God who works with us and God who works through us and who is at our side. It is good news that people don't have to be impressed with our abilities, but instead can see the power and the working of God. Paul will even say that maybe the weaker we are, the more they see God. The more surprised they are by what you're able to do in Jesus' name the more they're able to praise Jesus for what you did. Because they'll sit back and go, man, I didn't know he had that in him. Well, maybe he didn't until the Spirit hit him. And so this gospel just running through all of this. You don't have to worry about any of this, Moses. I'll be there. I'll provide. I'll equip you. All you have to do is believe and obey and get going. That's it. Just believe me, trust me, and go. That is all you really have to do. It does help every now and then. If you take somebody with you, God's not, not uh, against at all. Maybe sending somebody there who's got your back. He did that with Aaron. Maybe that's it. Maybe, that's all you, that, maybe that would erase all of your yeah buts. Maybe you're just waiting for God to say, okay, well, how about I send somebody with you? And that's where the rest of us may find. That may be your ministry. You may be an Aaron, somebody who's sent to talk but doesn't get a word in edgewise. Believe it or not, I've been that guy. You're thinking I've only taken those guys. I've done both. That's the truth. I've, I've done both. But I've gone and said nothing but just been there so the person speaking could speak. And they've done great because this is sometimes all a person needs. Maybe that's you. Let's look at Hebrews 11, 24 to 29. 11 is, is kind of the, the hall of fame, of faith. A whole bunch of Old Testament Hebrew. Wow. A whole bunch of Old Testament heroes. That's what I'm saying. Uh, are mentioned here because of the things that they did by faith. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, by the way, that's where his faith started, isn't it? In the faith of his family. We're talking about Father's Day. His was mother and sister. We don't ever hear anything about his father. But those women in his life had faith. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. That speaks a lot in one verse about Moses, doesn't it? At some point, he got the message there at the bush where he decided, you know what, I do think it's better to take the risk in obedience than it is to be comfortable in exile. And I'm going to go do what God called me to do. And if that brings me some, some tough challenges, I'll take those challenges because I believe in the God who goes with me. He considered the reproach of Christ great, of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt 
for he was looking forward to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. For by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people who had watched his example, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do so, were drowned. All of this because of this moment with God where God says, Moses, I hear all of your excuses. I hear all of your reasons, but I'm telling you I'm bigger than every one of them. And I'll work through you greater than every one of them if you'll just trust me and go. Or the song, Trust and Obey. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says, Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Well, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, it's impossible. This is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said, See, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Hey, first, Jesus says to them, listen, I know it is difficult for some of you to follow me. I get that. Money's just one of the hindrances. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's just a head full of, of excuses. He says, but I'm telling you, if you will follow me, God makes anything possible. So don't let all of your excuses and all of your entanglements, whether it's money or something else, be what holds you back from following me. And so then Peter says, well, okay, if we do, what do we get? <laughs> That's such a weird question, isn't it? That's what he asks. Okay. Jesus says to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one, now 28 is, is promised to the apostles, okay? But 29, he speaks to all of us. What happens to us if we will get rid of our yeah buts and follow Jesus into the world and do his work? This is what he says. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Well, I don't know about you, but that seems like a pretty good deal doesn't it? And I don't think he necessarily means only those people who have actually left their house and moved around the world as missionaries. I think for some of us, God would be quite pleased if we would just leave the house. Like get off the couch, get out of the chair, and go talk to the person next door even. He says those who do are going to find out that whatever they thought they lost, they gained a hundredfold over. And he's talking about in the new world. But you know what? God doesn't wait for some of these blessings. I can tell you from experience. You move away from home. You know, you, you miss your family. What does God provide? He provides all kinds, if we'll let Him. He provides all kinds of fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Yeah, I, I had to live thousands of miles away from my family for a long time. Did God provide? Absolutely. Now, they don't replace, but they sure enhance and so you end up with mothers and brothers and sisters in the faith that you can't imagine life without. But when do you get those? It's kind of like what he said to Moses. Well, if you'll get up and go do, then you'll be able to look back at what I've given you. But you've got to get up and go do. And so these promises are promises, but they're promises for those who get up and get out and go and trust Him. Just take the step. Follow Him into ministry. Follow Him in, into being Jesus to your neighbor. You know, God is, can work through any and every single one of us. Don't let, him get, don't let the devil give you excuses for, well, but I can't do this. Don't worry about what you can't do that. As I said last week, you start praying to God, 
But God, what do you want me to do? He'll take care of that part, right? He'll show you. Let him show you. The bottom line is this. Regardless of his excuses, regardless of everything that that he thought could keep him from doing what God wanted him to do, Moses still went. He went. He trusted what God said, and he went. And God gives the same call to you today and the same question. Are you going to go? Because if you do, I'll bless you. I'll be with you. I'll equip you. But you've got to trust. You've got to move forward because that's where I am. And if you want to know my blessings, you've got to come with me and follow me.